Welcome to another edition of this podcast, and I'm delighted to say that my guest today is Jacques Po, who is the author of Our Poisoned Land, Living in the Shadows of Zuma's Keepers. And this is a book that is a sequel to the best-selling The President's Keepers. That book was the fastest-selling book in South African book history, literally selling like Amagwinya at a taxi rank tens of thousands in the first week alone. And I think this one is going to do just as well. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they share that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. congratulations on yet another success, an important book. And thank you so much for agreeing to an interview. Uh, good afternoon. So I want to start maybe in a slightly strange place. There's so much we can go into. We're going to need a couple of interviews to do your work justice. I was a little bit annoyed. I said so in a written review by the excerpt that was chosen. The excerpt focused on drunk EFF parties in the middle of Santa, not far from where I am currently condoms that are left behind, bottles of Moet that are burst because they forget to take them out and drink them. And this all sponsored by a dodgy cigarette baron. And the reason I was annoyed is that I thought that it banalizes your work. This is such an important work, and we'll talk about why and how, that the EFF's legal threats and the response to that excerpt is good for the book sales. Your publishers must be happy um, in that sense. But there's always that weird trade-off between talkability and doing the heart of the book justice. And I think that there's so much in this book before we get to the EFF on page 351 for the first time that the excerpt was a little bit double-edged, good for commercialism, but it lent you to weird, unnecessary criticism like a gentleman that stopped me, a story I tell in the print review, and said to me, Eusebius, what do you make of Jacques' um, excerpt? Do you think the guy thinks that us black people should not use condoms? Why is that a bad thing? And why are we not entitled to partying? What say you? Well, you know, I've, I've said from the, from the word go that I don't want this book to be known as the book that Julius Malema doesn't want you to, to read. Because it's 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 ultimately a book about about how my how my motherland or my homeland has been poisoned by the likes of of Zuma and the aftermath of of state capture. You know, I had I had very little very little say in what excerpts was going to be chosen. I mean, you you hand the book to to a variety of of editors and book editors, and they choose, and that's the 
that's the juicy part. You know, you you've just mentioned the question of of used condoms and whatever. There's so much more in the in the affidavits that I have about about the events playing itself off in in Adriano Mazzotti's apartment in Santon. And I and I and I battled with it for some time because it's far more salacious than what what I published in the end. Is mm. in South Africa we don't have um, we don't have a lot of time for for writers or journalists speaking into the sexual affairs of our of our public public officers. Um, but you know we quote we quote from from the affidavits. It is in the affidavits. I think it is. It is to a to a certain extent. It is it is necessary when you look at someone like like Julius Malema. This is a man who openly says that he wants to be president one day and that he is going to be president one day. And I think there is a question of morality, and that is that and that he should also be be judged by by an affair like this. Okay, I want to tell you what I think as a reader. The heart of the book is. And then I want you to tell me, A, what you think of that, and B, how that compares to authorial intent. I think that this book is ultimately a devastating account of the moral, constitutional, and material near collapse of the African-led state in post-apartheid South Africa. The chapters leading up to the EFF's cameo appearance, only midway through between 300 and 400 pages, is fundamentally, for those who haven't yet picked up the book, about Prasa, the Hawks, crime intelligence, the Saps, the NPA. And if it stopped there, and it was a book that is only 350 pages in length, it would still be a good book. And I read this book as another and an important contribution to the literature on state capture. What do you think of that? And what was your intention for how it should fit in? I, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I first of all, I didn't I didn't intend to write a, a follow-up of the president's keepers. And primarily because I think when when you had so much success with a book, you just leave it alone. Don't don't try and don't try and <laughs> and, and mess up its legacy. So I only I only started I started working on this book about two years ago. As I said, I didn't intend to write up a, to write a follow up. What happened is that when President Ramaphosa came to power in or in February twenty uh, February um, twenty eighteen, he did very well for the first year of his of his presidency, at least as far as the law enforcement agencies are concerned. You know, he got he got rid of. Of people like Tom Oyani, the High Court helped him to get rid of Sean Abrams. He appointed new people, appointed a new head of the Hawks, a new commissioner of SARS, a new um, national director of public prosecutions. So, for the first year of his of his presidency, there was hope that things were going to change. You know, I've always said I said to the president's keepers that Jacob Zuma brought us to the brink of becoming a mafia or a criminal state. And I said afterwards that Ramaphosa pulled us back. Unfortunately, we once again where we were at the end of the Zuma, Zuma administration. And I think the biggest failure of, of Ramaphosa has been the fact that he's put the unity of, the, of his party before the well-being of the country. And that is 
why we are where we are. We seem to have made very little progress in in so many aspects that I that I described in my book. Yes, there's been some. John, can I some can I ask you yeah. at this point? I absolutely agree, and I that's how I end my written review. I make the point there to cheat a little bit on my on my reading um, followers um, by sharing uh, with my listeners who, who don't like reading as much what the final sentences are, that despite the EFF leadership's response to the book, actually they should have shut up because the careful reader will realize that the person who comes out worse for wear is not Julius, but actually Ramaphosa, because the book ultimately is an indictment of the new dawn and shows the continuities are many more than the discontinuities between the ANC led by his predecessor and the one led by himself. I held back some of the juice because you and I as authors want readers to go and buy the book, but let's give them a taste of the evidence in support of this claim. And maybe I can prompt you in two ways. Tell my listeners of examples of dodgy Zuma keepers that Ramaphosa didn't have the backbone to get rid of and turned into ambassadors. And secondly, why someone like Trele should have been dealt with very differently by Ramaphosa if he was really committed to constitutionalism. Right. Let's 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 start with Kele. Um, I think many people forget that Kele was Jacob Zuma's first commissioner of police. Zuma came to power in May 2009 and he appointed Becky Kele, who was then an, an avid Zuma supporter as his commissioner of police. And remember that 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 Kele was quite quite liked for his for his expressions about shoot to kill and police must, must shoot first and whatever. Anyway, he left in disgrace after the public protector issued two findings against him as far as the police headquarters scandal is concerned. I'm not going to go into it. Then Becky Kelly disappeared into, into obscurity just to be appointed a few years later by Jacob Zuma as his deputy minister of agriculture and fisheries, of all things. Anyway, eventually, Becky Kelly got onto the Ramaphosa wagon and he became our commissioner of police. Becky Kelly has got no moral authority to be in cabinet, not after the public protector made two damning findings against him. I then discovered that there was actually a Hawks investigation against, against Kelly. That, um, because the public protector, one of her findings uh, was that the police should investigate the relationship between Rushabangu and Becky Kele. And we all know that, you know, her findings are binding. So the Hawks started yes. an investigation of, against Becky Kele and it completely disappeared. I then discovered that, um, that the, the, the Hawks emptied the docket. There is nothing left in that docket. Initially, they asked for the, they, they, they subpoenaed the bank records mm. and the telephone records of both Shubangu and Kele. It all disappeared. Um, the ID then resuscitated the investigation, the investigating directorate, mm. resuscitated mm. the investigation. That's where my book stopped. In the meantime, I've discovered that the ID then then decided that um, 
that the ID decided, uh, Advocate Johnson decided that this is not a case for the ID because the ID concentrates on state yeah. capture cases. The case is now yes. back with the Hawks. So the Hawks is now supposed to investigate their own their own political head. It's never going to work. I also alluded Absolutely. in my book about the very peculiar relationship between Becky Kelly and a convicted drug dealer in uh, in KwaZulu-Natal by the name of Timothy, Timothy Marimutu. And I'm not going to go into detail with that. You know, one of the one of the one of the heroes of state capture was was Robert McBride, who was then the head of IPED, the police watchdog. Mm. Becky Kelly played a definite and a very damning role to get rid of Robert McBride to make sure that he was not going to be um, that his contract would not be renewed. We all know about the July mm. twenty twenty one unrest in KwaZulu Natal and Gauteng when Becky Kelly and the whole police force stood by and they did absolutely nothing. I think I think Ramaphosa's greatest failure as far as law enforcement is concerned is not only Becky Kelly, it's also the commissioner of police, Kehla Sitole. Here's a man who was appointed in the final days of the Zuma administration, and we know why Zuma appointed him, because he's ineffectual. Who's a man who's a who's a former homeland cop, comes from the homeland of Kwan Debele, it's got no, absolutely no academic qualifications. And you must remember that the Commissioner of Police is in many ways the number one public servant, the biggest state department with the biggest budget. He appointed- and might I add oh. parenthetically, quoting you, by his own admission, not managing to actually meet the threshold requirements. Yes, he admitted that during the Human Rights Commission commission hearings when he was, when he was um, cross-examined about his his qualifications. It took Cyril Ramaphosa four years to get rid of, of Kehla Sitole, despite the fact, and it's once again, it's very complicated, that Sitole is implicated um, in an attempt to buy a grabber that cost only seven or eight million rand to buy it for 45 million rand, and the bulk of the money would have gone for Kozazana um, Dlamini Zuma during the 2007 ANC elective conference at Nasrek. It took Sora Ramaphosa four years to get to get rid of Kehla Sitole. And when he finally got rid of Kehla Sitole, he tapped him on the shoulder mm. and he said to him, You go, full pension rights, you know, it's as though you 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 retired early. Mm. You talk you talk about people who who become ambassadors. There's a string of state security agency failed director generals. Who became who became, and former ministers yes, like Siabonga. Yeah, that that became ambassadors. Yeah, Siabonga Kwele <clears throat> implicated in the in in stopping an investigation against the the Guptas at the State Security Agency, and you can't get much worse than that. Face it, <clears throat> stopped an investigation against the Guptas at the State Security Agency. He's our ambassador in China today. Um, you know, there are there are failed. Divisional commissioners of crime intelligence who are ambassadors today, and it's it's just as though there has the the rule of law for many people did not apply or is not applying during the the Ramaphosa administration. So, Jacques, for me, there are two conclusions, and the the first for my listeners is that detail matters, and what Jacques has done, which I think is one of the upsides of your book is you've done 
the legwork for those of us who don't have the time or the skill or the inclination by trawling the archives, re-inscribing with acknowledgement, which is intellectually important, the work of our colleagues, your Paulie van Lakes, Peter Louis Meidlerks, the whistleblowers, the research institutions, civil society organizations, detail matters. And we often forget that when we get state capture fatigue. But secondly, more to the immediate point, that in the best case scenario, Jacques, and I know you don't think of yourself as a political analyst, but I think this book is also good political analyses. In the best case scenario, a Ramaphosa defender will say, as my old friend Karima used to say when her and I fought about these things um, in a spirited way, that the ANC is complex and you've got to keep your enemies closer. But Mr. Ramaphosa can't hang on to that defense because he seems to be making these choices at the expense of the constitutional edifice. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, once again, I'm not I'm not a political analyst, but it's incomprehensible um, that people like Lindiwe Sisulu, Becky Kele, um, there's a host of others, that they are still in cabinet. We know that, that Becky Kele is only in cabinet because he is Cyril Ramaphosa's uh, most avid, avid supporter in KwaZulu-Natal. Ramaphosa needs him. The same for somebody like Gwedi, Gwedi Montage. You know, in this book, I had to make a choice about what, what um, state-owned enterprise I'm going to write about. Because you can't write about Transnet and the now. <laughs> and Eskom and Prasa. Yeah, if you do a good Prasa. enough job with one, it becomes exemplary. Why did you choose Prasa? You know, because because number one, there's not there's the Guptas are not involved in 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 Prasa. These are homegrown South Africans like me and you that looted the passenger rail agency of South Africa. And I think what, what was fascinating about Prasa for me is when I started digging about what happened to the Prasa case, because it was already handed to the Hawks in 2015. A, a storeroom full of evidence was handed to the Hawks in 2015 by Popo Mulefe. That's the other reason why I chose Prasa, is because Popo Mulefe is a real hero of, of state capture, a deployed ANC cadre that stood up against the party and stood up against against the president. And that's why I chose Prasa. It's sort of homegrown South Africans. There's a euro and there are damning evidence about how the Hawks messed up the case. And what is very, very, very telling in the, in the Prasa case, and somehow everybody missed this because there was so much at the State Capture Commission, was that during the hearings, um, Judge Zondo said to the Hawks, I want to know what happened to the case. Godfrey Lebea then handed him an affidavit. And the judge was absolutely scathing of Lebea. And he basically said to Lebea, I do not buy your explanation. It is not true. That whole part was sort of missed in the in the in all the activity going on around the, the State Capture Commission. That's why I chose Prasa. I thought it's a very good example. But besides that, Jacques, you also the closest you came to a big criticism of the judge is, and you almost did it parenthetically, it was that understated, 
that you said you disagree with the idea that there should be a process investigation. What is already known and from previous reports in the public space is more than enough. We need to get on with the business of readying material for trial and seeing these folks in the docks yet and to be imprisoned. And this idea of, you know, a key recommendation being another inquiry is complete BS that what we have available already is more than sufficient. It's now about the political will to do the constitutional duty as a prosecutor and get on with it. Absolutely. I mean, I fundamentally disagree with, with Judge Zonda, and I absolutely admired him for the work for the work he had done. But we don't need another commission. We need prosecutions. And the evidence is there. And, you know, the, the, the looters of Prasa are living very comfortably off, off, their, off their, um, their loot. You know, somebody like Oshwal Mashaba, who's got, you know, a whole series of lodges and, and boutique hotels and whatever through the country. Um, he's not even ashamed of the money he stole because he's named his lodge after himself, A.M. Lodge. Um, so the evidence wow. is there. I mean, this is like wow. this is like low-hanging fruit for the asset forfeiture unit. There's a lodge yeah. in Limpopo. Go and and seize it. Can you, in that vein, I'm, I'm going to bring this to a close. Only, I actually want to speak to you for hours, but let people go read it. We'll come back in a few months, and I know you're generous. We can, we maybe we can engineer a session with that's more live and people can even come into our conversation. But I was telling a driver on my way to Pretoria, infamously not driving myself, and I was going to do an event where I moderated at UNISA, and he was a very well-informed South African, and we invariably when people recognize me, they want to talk politics. And we were both lamenting the state of the, the nation. And, and he, you know, he asked me how I think about how things are going. And I told him about your book and, and why the book's important. And I said to him, you know, Sipo, everything you've said so far, he was giving examples of things like kids drowning in a river because there's not a proper breach, because there's a tender fraud and the breach never gets constructed and someone gets a few million. I said to him, you know what, everything you've said is true, but South Africans don't actually know that things are 10 times worse than what they think is bad when they think things are bad. And I, I gave him examples of how in intelligence and in policing from your book, um, someone will, like the Mudluli Seven, have their entire family suddenly get ranks in the police in Etequini, draw salaries, or the police are renting out their properties, even though they're not being used, and paying them for renting it out. And that if those stories were as garden variety as a story, like, let's say, for example, what happened to Michael Komape in 2015, who drowned in a pit routine, South Africans would be even more anxious and angry, because the bigger numbers and the more brazen, large-scale killings, skullduggery, subversion of intelligence, it's actually worse than the examples that are the most well-known. So give me an example, whether it's this Etequini one and our own Guptas, as you call it in one chapter, or the Bengluli wife and former wife, so that people can have a taste of just how brazen and even almost comical, if it weren't real, some of the looting patterns are. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you if you just go back to to crime intelligence, for example, we all know. What happened to crime intelligence um, under Richard Madludi, who is in fact went to prison and is now facing 
another, another prison sentence. He appointed friends and cronies and families across South Africa as agents of crime intelligence. And I remember 10 years ago when I was a journalist at, at, at um, Media 24, at News 24, I used to write about this. I used to write about these characters. I used to write about Timmy Marimutu with his, with his drug conviction that became an informer and got a, a Mercedes-Benz with a blue light and whatever. Ten of his family members were appointed as agents. And they were all appointed as agents to get close to Becky Kele. And over the years, these people absolutely looted the secret fund of the police. Absolutely nothing has happened to, to Timmy Marimutu or any of his family. In fact, when Peter Jacobs arrived at, at Crime Intelligence as the new head in 2018, he issued an order for these people to go back to work because some of them had never, ever reported for duty. He said to everyone, please, all of you, all, all of these secret agents appointed by Richard Madluli, can you all please report for duty? Nothing has happened to anyone. There are police generals sitting in crime intelligence that has had disciplinary charges against them for the past decade. Those disciplinary hearings have never gotten off the ground. In a storeroom in crime intelligence are 13 grabbers that were bought at, at a price of 113 million rand that could have had a major impact on the violence last year, the July 2021 violence. Becky Kele has never gotten the end user certificates for the police to use these, these, uh, these grabbers. And I can go on and on and on. You know, it's a never ending story. And you know what? I'm not sure that it's going to improve in any way. Mm. Third last question. The EFF should worry. The point that I'm making as a reviewer is simply that the book is not only about them, and actually they make a late appearance, and the careful reader should not be misdirected by the excerpt. But the reason they matter in Chapter 21 is that you put them on trial against the anti-poor political narrative and campaign on which they got into parliament in the first place, and then drawing in part on the work of Paulie van Weyck, but also supplementing it with your own work, speaking to workers of the um, tobacco tycoon that is his friend, you then show that the evidence refutes this claim to being deeply committed to the interests of gardeners and domestic workers. Without giving too much away, give my listeners a sense of what you were testing for, so much so that this is the one chapter where you even find yourself traveling to Malawi to try and corroborate some claims. Well, you know, the, the, the claims that that were made by the person that I call Margaret, the, the housekeeper. And she was far more than a housekeeper. In fact, she's qualified as a receptionist and she has a diploma and whatever. It's a very, a very, a very clever and astute person. You know, as I said, said to you, I worked with her over a period of several years, in fact, before I decided to, to publish her allegations. 
And I traveled to Malawi to go and look for a chef that had worked for, for Mazzotti and had met Julius Malema and worked in the, the apartment. Of course, I had to corroborate what she said to me. You know, I let her sign an affidavit and I let her sign another affidavit a few months later. The Malawian, the Malawian chef signed, signed, signed a statement. But I think it's important that people realize that, that these allegations about the, the excesses of the, of the EFF doesn't suddenly fall out of a tree. This has been coming for a very, very long time. You know, the, the fact that Julius Malema is a kept politician is not a revelation that I'm making. It was a revelation that, that we met already in, what, 2011, 2012, with the on-point and Guangua allegations in the Limpopo province, for which he was criminally charged, and then the state dropped the, the charges. We all know about VBS Bank, where, where 1.89 billion rand, mostly coming from poor people and pensioners in the, in the Limpopo province, was looted 16 million rand in cash and loans of altogether 5 million rand, found its way to Brian Shivambu, who was or who is Floyd Chivambu's brother, and from there he dispersed it to Julius Malema, the EFF, and Floyd Chivambu. You know, a very, a very important question is raised here, and there's others. There's the Guiani Water Project. There are other, there are other examples of handouts to, to Malema. It raises a very serious question, and I think this is a question we will have to, to answer in the, in, the, in the weeks and months and years to come. Is the EFF a criminal enterprise or is it just a legitimate political organization? Because there's clear evidence that, that Malema and Shivambo have used the EFF to, to fill their coffers with ill-gotten Ill -gotten money. So the, the allegations against Malema, is not going, it's not going to stop here. It's going to continue because it happens all the time. So I think to a certain By the way, before before I ask the penultimate question, what is your, the answer you give yourself? Are they a bona fide political party or criminal enterprise? I think at this at this point they both. They are they are a legitimate political party. We can never get away from that. They've they've got I think 44 seats in in parliament. They are a legitimate political party and for for many 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 of their supporters they are they they are, they, they are a legitimate political party and they believe in the party listen not every everything that Julius Malema says is is ridiculous or wrong i mean many things that he says is true when he when he spoke about the land much of what he's saying is true but it's a, it's i think it's both i think at this point it's I think that Malema and Shivambo are using the EFF to fill their coffers, and to a certain extent, it is a it is a criminal enterprise. Second last question: You were coy in one particular sentence early in the book that surprised me. To be fair on you, I haven't checked the bibliography reference around that chapter. Maybe the answer lurks there. As part of the money that is used for nefarious purposes by intelligence structures, various parts of the state for that matter, but you do focus most of the book on, for example, the broader question of state security agency doing the bidding for factions of the ANC. Along the way, you mentioned that that includes the unsnaring of journalists who are then used in the service 
of certain political narratives that may favor this or that person vying for a position within the ANC. Which journalists have been paid? I don't know. You know, um, th this comes from, from allegations that has been made, at amongst others, the, the State Capture Commission. I don't have evidence of that. I do not. Okay, because the, the statement was a declarative statement. Uh, made me wonder whether you had names in your back pocket. I, I've heard names, but I don't have enough evidence to, to publish it. You know, I've, I've heard names. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's true. Okay. <clears throat> so you're not going to have a Stefan moment with me? No, 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 I'm not going to. <laughs> and then the last question. I said to a, a friend of mine over lunch earlier today that I'm really glad that I read the author's note because... A part of me wondered whether your publishers were simply relying on the fact that you are a larger-than-life celebrity and successful journalist, and you will sell, um, or whether they had the ethics to actually force you consciously to reflect on the waterfront incident and the loss of credibility. And I think it was important for you to go there um, ethically and tactically, both and you do so in the author's note. Don't give everything away, but I must ask you the question, and I can tell my listeners that Jacques deals with it. You can judge what you make of his response by buying the book and reading it. A lot of people, one person said to me on Facebook, who, who's got no EFF affiliation, doesn't care about the ANC, a very progressive academic, um, agreed with me that the EFF's legal threats are silly, it's simply good publicity for the book. And she agreed, but then she ended her Rye agreement by saying, but by the way, didn't we cancel Jacques Paul? Um, what do you say to someone who loves your body of work, but wonders about your epistemic authority in, in light of, of, of the Daily Maverick article? Well, you know, as far as the, the author's note is concerned, I planned it initially as my prologue. I wanted to start with it. And the, the publisher said to me, no, 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 you can't start with that. That's not very clever. We'll put it in the back of the book. I had to deal with it. It was a, it was a terrible moment in my life. I made a terrible mistake. And all I can say to people who criticize me for it, you know, read read what I, what I write about it. Um, I fell very very hard um i decided i'm going to get up again um i dealt with it as as best as i could went for therapy started working again and ultimately wrote this book and i would like people to know that the, the event at the waterfront as painful as it is um has not in any way influenced um the way I do my work or the way I write or the way I research the topics that I that I write about. Jacques, congratulations on this book. It's very important and I hope reviewers and readers do it justice by reading it carefully and engaging the entire thematic range. I want to thank you for it. And I also, again, want to stress that I think that the obsessive reader who knows a lot about politics will find some of it familiar but i think everyone including the expert will find something new and nuanced about it and in your acknowledgements um, section you also correctly point to a non-exhaustive list of our colleagues in the media and amongst the authors in the country 
who have also contributed to this overall body of work. But I think the way you synthesize it um, is really useful. And, and that's in the in the worst case scenario, still a good case scenario. And I think many will also agree that some of the chapters are actually substantial and not just a mere synthesis. Thanks so much for coming on the platform. Thank you. It was a pleasure.